I'm Avery Smith of the Rock Candy Podcast Network, and you're listening to Blessed Are the Binary Breakers, a multi-faith podcast of transgender stories. Hey y'all, this is supposed to be my September episode. I know it's October 1st, but hey, let's just all be cool and pretend it's still September 30th, okay? Great. I'll make it up to you by having two episodes for October, or I guess three if you count this one. Oof, okay, whatever. I was planning for this episode to be a broader sweep of several examples of syncretism across several continents. Syncretism being, in a basic definition, a synthesis or merging of different beliefs. When two or more cultures meet and mingle, whether for relatively pleasant reasons, like in a city that happened to welcome peoples of varying religions, or for less happy reasons, like one group conquering another and trying to impose its beliefs on the conquered group, syncretism is what happens. One or both groups will adapt and adopt elements of the other group's culture or traditions into their own. Now, that is a super oversimplified explanation of syncretism, but for this episode, I won't make it more complicated than that. Today, we're just going to focus on one specific example that can help you get a better idea of what syncretism can mean. That example is Bridget, a Celtic goddess who became a Catholic saint and then, centuries later, a voodoo lawa. Talk about a binary breaker. Yeah, my research yielded so much stuff that Bridget gets her own episode. I'm not mad about it. Bridget has long been one of my patron saints. Bridget is actually my mom's middle name, as she comes from a proudly Irish Catholic family. And I've had Bridget's cross hung over my bedroom door since I was born. As an adult, Bridget has been a huge help for me as I've discerned which elements of Catholicism to cherish and which to let go of, as I performed a little syncretism of my own between Catholic and Protestant traditions. One example from St. Bridget's story that brought us closer together as I was exploring my own queerness is that of Bridget and her close friend, her Anamkara, or soul friend, who shared her bed. The two can easily be interpreted as sapphic life partners. I'll get to that a little later on. The funny thing is that as I did my research for this episode, the possibility of a female love interest is not even the queerest thing about Bridget. The way this figure breaks binaries in all of her iterations is quite queer indeed. I really appreciate how Reverend Joe Inkpen puts it in a reflection she wrote in 2019. By the way, Inkpen's been on the show before. If you want to hear our conversation from a couple years ago, it's in episode 13. Reverend Joe Inkpen is flourishing with a trans in God. Anyway, here's what she said in her reflection on St. Bridget. Is Bridget a queer saint, do you think? I don't just mean as a likely LGBTI plus sacred forebear, but in the sense of being a figure who challenges and transforms our conceptions and ideas of holiness. 
Whilst so much about Bridget is cast about with legend, Bridget undoubtedly offers us distinctive, transgressive, and mysterious paths into life and God, vital and vibrant queer ways into holiness and transformation. As with all matters involving binaries broken and norms subverted, some folks are more comfortable with connecting Bridget the goddess and Bridget the saint than others. There are, for example, many Christians who don't like the idea that a revered saint may once have been a priestess of a pagan deity, as some legends of Bridget claim. And there are some pagans who are not a fan of the idea that their goddess could be shrunk down into a human being of an often oppressive religion, no less. Christopher Scott Thompson, who is an author, founder of the Katiran Society, and a devotee of the goddess Bridget, acknowledges this tension in his 2013 article, Loop of Bridget, What is Bridgetine Paganism?, in which he writes, Some Christian Bridgetines, such as the nuns who tend the revived flame at Kildare, have been friendly and open to those who view her as a goddess. Others insist on a clear distinction between the goddess and the saint. Meanwhile, Robert Gibbons, the Society's editor for Trinity News, Ireland's oldest student newspaper, offers a suggestion for why this tension exists in his 2019 article, St. Bridget, Pagan Goddess, Patron Saint, Proto-Feminist. What is at the heart of the tension between the pagan and the Christian aspects of Bridget is that they are so similar. It is tricky to say where one begins and the other ends. This has created a figure of Christian history that, despite being indispensable to the tradition, does not adhere to the common perception of Irish Catholicism, particularly in her treatment of and role as a woman. So let's dig into those aspects of Bridget the Goddess and Bridget the Saint that interweave like the woven rushes of her cross. It makes sense to begin with a very brief exploration of Celtic history and culture. In the centuries leading up to 0 CE, Celtic settlements and influence could be found across a large swath of Europe, from Germany to modern France and Spain. In that era, the Romans were a prime enemy of the Celts, and eventually drove them to the very edges of the empire, the British Isle. In time, worship of the goddess Bridget, also known by a variety of other names including Brige, came to center around Kildare a place in Ireland whose name means Church of the Oak. At the Temple to Bridget there, priestesses kept an eternal flame in honor of the goddess of fire and smithcraft. Bridget was goddess of so much more as well. In her 2015 article, B is for Bridget, goddess, saint, and Lawa, Sable Aradia, who is a licensed Wiccan minister and a third-degree initiated Wiccan priestess in the Star Sapphire tradition, writes, The Celts knew Bridget as one of the Tuatha de Danann, her mourning of her son's loss and battle gave us the art of keening. She kindles fire in the head. She is a poet, artist, craftswoman, and smith. She is a goddess of fire and water, of iron and healing, and of the power of creation as well as the hearth. She was sometimes syncretized with the British-slash-continental Minerva-esque Brigantia, goddess of high things, such as high fires, hill forts, excellence in the arts and smithing, wisdom, intelligence, and sovereignty. Some of the symbols associated with her include cauldrons, fires, wells, and a smith's hammer. That is a lot of stuff for one goddess. 
which leads some historians to suggest that she may have been an amalgamation of a whole bunch of other, even more ancient, more localized deities. Whether or not that is the case, the goddess Bridget is often labeled a triple goddess, not the kind most commonly referred to in modern paganism, the maiden mother crone, but as a trio of sisters, one of whom was a poet and musician, one of whom was a warrior, and one of whom was a druid and healer. Now, as a Christian, the idea of a deity who is three in one is not so strange to me. While monotheistic, most Christians hold that God is a trinity, likewise one being or essence in three persons. Reverend Inkpen suggests that this idea of interwoven being is vital to what Irish priest, philosopher, and poet John O'Donohue called the Celtic imagination. Here's what Inkpen says about this Celtic imagination. Like a Celtic work of art, it is full of circles, decorative knots, and other features which weave difference beyond separation and tension into beauty and harmony. In Celtic imagination, the binaries which straight cultures define and use to regiment life are rather invitations to creativity and transcendence. Life and death, joy and sorrow, male and female, earth and heaven, the human and the divine, all are interwoven in the Celtic imagination. There can never be one thing alienated from the other. No wonder that the Celts in becoming Christians took powerfully to the reality of God as Holy Trinity. For whilst the Trinity may puzzle the straight and narrow, it is a natural expression of the mutual interchange and indwelling of so-called opposites and of the essential experience of the queerness of Celtic imagination. Bridget and Darladoc, for instance, knew intuitively and instinctively that holiness and the world's transformation lay in the transcendence of straight categories, in the mysteries arising from the depths of scripture, solidarity, and soul. It is this kind of imagination, a Celtic imagination, a queer imagination, that can easily make room for someone like Bridget, who is triple goddess, Catholic saint, and even voodoo loi, the last of which I'll hold off delving into until the end of the episode. Learning that some historians believe that the 6th century abbess, or nun in charge of a monastery, who became Saint Bridget, was a priestess of the Celtic goddess Bridget before converting to Christianity, and that she brought some of her Celtic tradition into her experience of Christianity, brings me great happiness, not discomfort. When there are too many tales of Christianity attempting to forcibly eradicate other religions and whole cultures, Bridget's story reminds us of how diverse beliefs can mingle together, and how old beliefs can live on. It brings me joy to know that the fire maintained for the goddess Bridget burned bright long after many of her followers entered a new tradition with Catholic nuns maintaining the flame on St. Bridget's behalf at the same place that priestesses once performed the same action for their deity. As Jessica Mason puts it in her 2021 article, Meet Bridget, the Irish goddess who became a saint, a lesbian icon, and a voodoo loa, Bridget is adaptable and powerful, which may be why she, perhaps more than any other pagan deity, has evolved and persisted over the millennia like a sword reforged for a new purpose. In order to protect her people and serve her purpose of inspiration and light, Bridget has changed with the times. 
Jason Mankey shares my delight in Bridget's multifaceted, multi-faith essence, but from a pagan perspective. Mankey is a high priest who first encountered witchcraft and paganism in 1994, the year I was born, and has spoken and written about it ever since. In a 2014 article titled Bridget, Myth and Magic, Mankey says that when he first discovered Bridget, I loved the idea of someone praying to St. Bridget and not realizing it was secretly one of our goddesses. Such is her power that the usurpers were unable to take Bridget from the folk. As a goddess, Bridget is a survivor and one of the most continually worshipped and celebrated deities in all of ancient European paganisms. When the conquerors and converters came to her lands, she didn't give up the fight or go underground. She simply changed her clothing and reappeared, ready to serve those who needed her. What did that clothing change look like? Well, Bridget kept her cloak as she moved from goddess to saint. More on that story in a moment. But I should probably assume Mankey was talking about a more metaphorical clothing change, yeah. There is some debate about who exactly Bridget the person was, or even if there might have been multiple saints Bridget, just as there may have been many goddesses sharing the name Bridget. In a medieval list of Irish saints, no fewer than 25 are named Bridget or some variety thereof, like Brige. Figuring out which ones were historical persons, and whether just one of them really did everything that the Saint Bridget is said to have done, is tricky. For this episode, I'm going to try to keep things simple by speaking as if of one person who lived in the 400s CE, while acknowledging and leaving room for more expansive possibilities. In some tales, Bridget was raised by druids, and eventually made a seemingly smooth transition from priestess to Catholic nun. In others, she was born into an enslaved family. Sometimes it seems her family was a wealthy one, as legends say she drove her parents up a wall by constantly giving away their things to beggars, from her mother's entire store of butter to her father's jewel-encrusted sword. In these versions, Bridget's father or brothers demanded that she marry, but she refused to live into that societal expectation for her, choosing instead the relative independence of a nun. According to Kittredge Cherry in her article on Bridget for Q Spirit, legend says that when she made her final vows as a nun, the bishop in charge was so overcome by the Holy Spirit that he administered the right for ordaining a bishop instead, which was, of course, a role reserved for men, and which held quite a bit of power. Bridget went on to found her monastery, the Church of the Oak, at the site of the perpetual flame and sacred well of Bridget the Goddess. She established the monastery as one for both monks and nuns, co-ruled by an abbot and an abbess in happy partnership. Gibbons, that writer for Trinity News, describes Bridget's monastery as a church where holiness and femininity are not opposing forces something that is unfortunately not always seen as the case in the patriarchal church. Another cool thing about this monastery is that it included an art school for creating illuminated manuscripts, something that the goddess Bridget, herself an artist and lover of knowledge, would no doubt appreciate. Another link between the two Bridgets at the foundation of the monastery comes in the form of a cloak. 
For both figures, a cloak or mantle is a trademark item. Gibbons recounts a legend in his article of how, when St. Bridget requested land from a king on which to build her monastery, he laughed in her face and said she could have whatever her cloak could cover. She lay down her cloak and it grew to cover the entire province, something like 20,000 square kilometers. The king begged her to stop her cloak from expanding and told her she could have any land she wanted. So her cloak returned to its old size and Bridget went off happy. Now, the goddess's connection to a cloak is not nearly so buckwild. She was simply wrapped in a green cloak when she was born, and that cloak became a symbol of healing and strength. Thus, one Celtic tradition was to set a cloth out after sunset on January 31st and let it soak in morning dew, imbuing it with healing powers. One other cloak story connects the two figures. The following tale has been told of both the goddess and the saint. One day, Bridget hurried indoors with her cloak wet from rain. She was in a hurry, and in her rush mistook a sunbeam pouring in from the window for a beam of wood, and threw her cloak onto it. Here's how that story continues in the version told in the lives of the saints. The cloak remained there, hanging on the sunbeam, and the ray of sun did not move till late at night one of her maidens ran to her to tell her that the sunbeam waited its release. So she hastened and removed her cloak, and the ray retired after the long-departed sun. Gibbons notes that there are other stories that Bridget the Goddess and Bridget the Saint have in common. Both drank milk from a sacred cow as children. Both cured multiple lepers. Popular pilgrimage sites for both are sacred wells. In Bridget, Celtic and Christian meet and merge, fueling one another and empowering believers in the goddess, the saint, or both. The myriad miracles attributed to St. Bridget are likewise of the kind that Bridget the goddess might have performed herself, centering as they were around healing, hospitality, and the protection of women and other vulnerable persons. Sable Aradia notes that St. Bridget was said to be able to multiply such things as butter, bacon, and milk, to bestow cattle and sheep, and to be able to control the weather. I'll share two stories of miracles Bridget performed to protect a woman. In the first, a woman came to Bridget for help and refuge after a man had given her a silver brooch to look after and then stolen it back and thrown it in the river so that it would be lost for good. Because the woman had technically failed to keep the brooch safe, legally she would become his property to pay her debt. But Bridget would not let this happen. She went to the river and cut open each fish she found until she discovered the brooch in one fish's belly. She presented the brooch to the court, and thus the woman was set free. The second story is particularly fascinating when the Catholic Church of our own time is firmly and famously anti-abortion. When Bridget was an abbess with many students under her care, one student came to her for help after having become pregnant outside of marriage. As Gibbons tells the story, Bridget forgave her, blessed her, and placed her hands upon the girl's stomach. The pregnancy was terminated, allegedly by the grace of God, saving the girl from the social stigma and vulnerability of such a pregnancy. Did the Catholic Church always take a strong stance against abortion like they do today, or does this story hint at a different past? I'll also take a moment to mention how fun some of the Bridget stories are. 
I think a lot of us imagine monasteries as somber places, and maybe some were and are, but they could also often be places of mirth. Kittredge Cherry offers one look into the saint's mischievous side. Bridget's spirit of fun and hospitality is expressed in her reputation for loving beer. She made beer for the poor every Easter. In a well-known poem attributed to Bridget, she envisioned heaven as a great lake of beer. Irish singer and theologian Noreen Ni Ryun translated St. Bridget's Prayer, which includes this passage performed by her. I'd like to give a lake of beer to God. I'd love the heavenly host to be tippling there for all eternity. I'd love the men of heaven to live with me to dance and sing. If they wanted, I'd put at their disposal vats of suffering. White cups of love I'd give them with a heart and a half. Sweet pictures of mercy I'd offer to every man. I'd make heaven a cheerful spot because the happy heart is true. I'd make the men contented for their own sake. I'd like Jesus to love me too. I'd like the people of heaven to gather from all the parishes around. I'd give a special welcome to the women, the three Marys of great renown. I'd sit with the men, the women of God, there by the lake of beer. We'd be drinking good health forever, and every drop would be a prayer. Another part of Bridget's life that might challenge what we know of Catholicism today is her close relationship to Darladoc, a nun at her monastery with whom Bridget shared a bed. Kittredge Cherry's Q Spirit article delves into the women's relationship. Darladoc was a younger nun who served as Bridget's ambassador and her Anamkara, or soul friend. Like many Celtic saints, Bridget believed that each person needs a soul friend to discover together that God speaks most powerfully in the seemingly mundane details of shared daily life. After Bridget turned 70, she warned Darladuck that she expected to die soon. Her younger soulmate begged to die at the same time. Bridget wanted her to live another year so she could succeed her as abbess. Bridget died of natural causes on February 1st, 525. The bond between the women was so close that Darladuck followed her soulmate in death exactly one year later, on February 1st, 526. Regardless of whether Bridget's and Darladuck's relationship involved sex, there is queerness in their story. In a world that expects heteronormative marriage and childbirth from women, Bridget and Darladuck chose to live together as nuns, with no men able to call them wife. Furthermore, in our own day and age, there is a common assumption that intimacy and sex are one and the same, that a relationship must hold a sexual element to be deeply intimate, or to be queer. In this way, too, Bridget is a binary breaker, Bridget and Darladuck were nuns who observed a vow to chastity and had a relationship that was deeply intimate. Their love ran so deep that Darladuck could hardly bear the thought of living on past Bridget. One last thing about Darladuck. Her name offers another hint into the mingling of stories about Bridget the goddess and Bridget the saint. As Mason describes in her article, the name Darladuck means daughter of look 
who was another many-skilled Irish god whose chief festival is opposite Bridget's on the Wheel of the Year on August 1st. There's clearly a connection here, and the vagueness and malleability of it, like a changing flame, allows Bridget to be many things as she is needed. On the topic of festivals, it's time to hone in on Bridget's. The Catholic feast day of St. Bridget is February 1st, which was also the day of the Celtic festival Imbolc. February 1st is the halfway point between the winter solstice and vernal equinox, and so Imbolc celebrated the return of spring. The goddess Bridget was central to this day as she represented fire, inspiration, the sun, recovery. As Gibbons explains, her divine flame was a symbol of the shift from darkness of winter to the light of summer. It is possible that in ancient celebrations of Imbolc, an ancient solar symbol was woven from twigs. If so, the ties between that solar symbol and Bridget's cross is evident. Gibbons describes February 1st as he has experienced it in our own era. It is common for Irish primary school students, too, on a spring morning, when the daffodils are budding and the sun, bright but cold, is shining through the window, weave a little cross out of the reeds in honor of St. Bridget. The story goes that St. Bridget wove this at the deathbed of a pagan chieftain, some say her father, who was so enamored by it, he converted to Christianity, was baptized, and saved from eternal damnation. According to tradition, if you hang it in your house, it will protect your household from a fire. It is important to note that many historians do not agree that there is any link between Bridget's cross and any ancient solar symbol. The key difference is that a pagan sun cross usually has a circle going around the legs, while St. Bridget's does not. I like to think there is a connection, but if we want a more certain link between the Bridget's, fire is definitely the way to go. I brought up Kildare's perpetual flame, kept burning first by priestesses and then by nuns earlier, but there are more details to explore. It is unclear when the first fire was lit, and less is known prior to the time of Bridget's monastery, but between Bridget's death in the 500s and the time of King Henry VIII, the fire was extinguished only once by an archbishop who wanted to reduce the power of women in the church in the 1200s. It was soon relit and burned for several centuries more, until Henry VIII's forces raided and shut down monasteries in England and Ireland alike. In 1996, a Bridgeton nun named Sister Mary Minchin relit the flame, with the intention of keeping it going perpetually once more. So far, it continues to burn steadfast in Kildare, but there's another fire burning bright for Bridget across the world. This brings me to the various orders of flame keepers. The Ord Brigideoc, which I probably pronounced completely wrong, it's translated as the Order of Brigid in English, is an order of flame keepers and water tenders described this way on its homepage. We are a non-denominational religious order. All are welcome whom Brigid calls, regardless of gender, religion or faith, ethnicity, ability or disability. Brigid welcomes us all beneath her mantle so we must always be welcoming to one another. She is the healing well and the purging flame. She is the protector of the earth and its innocence, children and animals. She is known by many names across time and in many cultures. 
if she speaks to you as poet, healer, smith, storyteller, musician, craftsperson, midwife, mother, hearthkeeper, land steward, tender of herds, seer, woman of fire, lawgiver, deity of the home, lady of the sun, or simply a saint or goddess, you are welcome to walk among us. The symbolic perpetual flame, kept in honor of Bridget by this order, goes in a 20-day cycle. Each firekeeper is assigned one day of 19, and on the 20th day, Bridget herself is said to tend the fire. Describing what it means to tend the fire, the order explains, The bare bones of tending to Bridget's flame means keeping a flame lit in honor of Bridget throughout the day. Each member will find their own way to include other things into that day in honor of her. Some will spend time in prayer, meditation, contemplation, or doing a ritual in her honor. Some will spend time that day journaling, writing poetry, listening to music that reminds them of her. Some will get really creative and decide to do a creative arts project in her honor. And some will spend time researching to learn about Bridget. We all have our path and our dedication to Bridget, so there are no right or wrong ways to honor her. Another flame-keeping order is the Daughters of the Flame. Sable Aradia describes her role as a flamekeeper in that order. I keep a sacred flame for the goddess Bridget, as part of a worldwide sisterhood called Daughters of the Flame. I've been part of the order off and on for almost 20 years now, I think. We burn a candle for 24 hours in a rotating 19-day cycle. My shift starts every 19 days at 6 p.m., which coordinates with women all over the world. Every year at Imbolc, we flame keepers are sent a wick that was lit from the Kuldare flame with which to relight our own candles. Most of us then relight our next candle from the flame of the last. I keep my candle in a cauldron, literally on my hearth, just above my stove in my kitchen. Returning to the diversity of the order, Aradia says, We come from all walks of life. We are writers, businesswomen, mechanics, artists, and housewives. Some of us are Christian and some are pagans. Our Christians are Catholic, Orthodox, and Mormon. Our pagans are witches, druids, wiccans, and voodoo practitioners. Many of us are spiritual, no religion. We can be all of these things because Bridget is a pagan goddess, a Christian saint, and a voodoo loi. We've explored Bridget the goddess and saint that leaves the voodoo loi. How on earth did a figure from Ireland become someone honored in Haitian voodoo and New Orleans voodoo, which were African diasporic religions that arose through syncretism between Western African religions and Roman Catholicism? Well, Mason explains in her article that in the 18th and 19th centuries, indentured Irish servants and enslaved black persons sometimes worked alongside one another. It was at this time that Bridget found her way into the religion of voodoo, where her name became Maman Brigitte. Here's what Mason says. Maman Brigitte is very different from Bridget. She is a spirit of cemeteries and death, and the consort of Baron Samdi, the Loa of the Dead. According to Courtney Weber, she is a tough character, often described as a profanity-spewing, hardened presence, but full of fierce love. She is also the only Loa who is white, with, like most versions of Bridget, distinct red hair. 
Bridget and Maman Brigitte, and indeed Bridget of Colder, are not all the same. They are descendants and evolutions, like new fires lit from a central flame. From just these few tales, it's clear that Bridget is variable, adaptable, powerful, and inspiring. This evolution of Bridget is indeed quite different. The fact that she aids in the transition from life to death, while the goddess Bridget's flame symbolized the seasonal move from death into life, stands out in particular for me. Still, there are connections. For instance, St. Bridget's Day on February 2nd is also celebrated as the fete of Maman Brigitte by those voodoo houses who acknowledge her. And the cloak that links the goddesses and the saint also links the Loire. Devotees leave a piece of clothing out on the eve of Maman Brigitte's fete to receive her blessing, just as Celtic believers did. Moreover, like her Irish counterparts, Maman Brigitte has a special care for women and other vulnerable persons, and she cares deeply about justice. Carolyn Wise says of the Loire, she does not suffer fools, an attitude I find resonant with many of the stories of St. Bridget I've read. Lilith Dorsey, a voodoo priestess whose traditions include Celtic, Afro-Caribbean, and Native American spirituality, and who is the editor and publisher of Oshun African Magical Quarterly, wrote of her own house's devotion to Maman Brigitte in her 2014 article, Voodoo's Bride of Death, saying, My voodoo house holds Maman Brigitte in special regard as one of our patron deities. The past several years have seen feasts, rituals, readings, and initiations occurring this time of year. We use a special veve, or sacred ground drawing, that we lay out in cornmeal or coffee. This veve features Bridget's crosses, which are a traditional Irish symbol. Coffee usually figures prominently in the feast menu as well, which includes Maman Brigitte's other favorite offerings too. Oranges, chocolate, wine, pork, or beef are included. She is a people's goddess. It is easy to establish a connection with her, as long as you are respectful and genuine at all times. In our house, she is a patron of justice, a connection to the realm of the ancestors that we hold most sacred. For us, she is a goddess of death that reminds us of the healing power of connection to the dead and the ancestors who have walked this path before. We've almost come to the end of this episode. In a moment, I will offer some closing thoughts about Bridget, but first, I'll let you know that I have more episodes centering around syncretism coming up. So, if you have any thoughts, ideas, questions, or so on about the idea of syncretism, of different beliefs mingling and merging into something new that you'd like to bring to me, email me at queerlychristian36 at gmail.com. I'll also be publishing an episode compiling stories about name changing halfway through October, so if you want to share your own name change story, it's not too late. Get it into me by, let's say, October 10th? Okay. Back to Bridget. Sometime this week, I invite you to sit with Bridget, the goddess, the saint, the Loire, or the spirit of creativity and compassion she embodies. Sit with her for a while, perhaps with a candle lit, perhaps somewhere out in nature, by a body of water, or in a sunny spot. Ponder, what is it about Bridget? that has drawn countless people of so many places and experiences to her. 
Thompson offers a suggestion from his pagan perspective. He says that Bridget is adored less for her specific characteristics than for the energy of endless compassion, gentleness, and creativity with which she has always been associated. And Gibbons offers a thought from his Christian perspective. She was everything the church was supposed to be and everything it never became. Finally, to return to Reverend Joe Inkpin's reflection on the binary breaking power of Bridget, it's that subversion and transcendence that makes Bridget so powerful and empowering to me. She is a bright torch burning across the centuries, around the globe, and right here and now at my personal altar with its crosses and icons and candle flickering. Here is a final thought from Reverend Inkpen that just about sums up all I feel about Bridget to close the episode. Bridget is a threshold figure. She crosses the binary boundaries of paganism and Christian faith as both goddess and saint, of male and female, and heading a double monastery of both, of chastity and relational intimacy as both a nun and intensely beloved mutual soul partner of Darladoc. She thus embodies for us the life of faithful transformation to which we are called in Christ, or I'd suggest in any spiritual path. For, as our Ephesians reading puts it, for her saint's day, it is only when we are strengthened in our inner being with love that we begin to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love that surpasses knowledge, including all binary constructions. Bridget and Darladuck show us that it is when we embrace difference that we can truly be filled with all the fullness of God.